Welcome to Holistic Trauma Healing, a podcast that empowers you to heal trauma in the same way it has affected you as a whole person. I am Lindsay Lockett, your host. I have discovered a profound path to healing trauma that allows us to move out of the role of victim and into the role of empowered and conscious creator of our best possible reality. I offer hope, healing insights, and practical tips as you get to the root of how trauma has affected every part of your existence and how to weave a new web of life that isn't ruled by the past. Hello, happy summer, happy July. Holy shit, the summer is halfway over. I had that realization a couple days ago. It's so funny that the longer I live in the woods, the less calendar time matters, but the more I pay attention to like what flowers are blooming at that time. And so I remember like when the lupins were going to seed at the end of June being like, okay, okay, but it's only the end of June. Just the lupins are going to seed. So many other things haven't happened yet. The oxide daisies haven't bloomed yet. The the bird's foot is just now coming out. Like you still have time. <laughs> and then this past week, as we've been spending a lot of time outside, um, I saw the fireweed blooming and I've seen little green blueberries that are starting to get ripe. And the oxide daisies have now bloomed and the lupins have gone to seed and the purple asters were blooming. So that's like, okay, we're getting into late summer. It's getting late summer, but that's how I keep time now (laughs) based on what's happening in my natural environment. And it feels, it feels really good. It's just unfortunate that I also have to keep a calendar that I check most days. (laughs) because the rest of the world operates on calendar time. Um, So this podcast episode may seem a little rambly at first because it's been quite a while since I've put out a solo episode and I feel like there are some life updates that I would like to share that have uh, personal significance to me. So the first life update that I would like to share is that our son, who is... 19 and a half, uh, moved out of our house just months after he turned 18 and he lived with some roommates for one year. And around April, he shared that he was ready to talk about coming back home, that he wasn't sure he was ready to be out, that he may have jumped the gun a little bit, um, with his readiness. And so we began as a family to talk about what that could look like. And we all agreed that our son being out of our home was a good thing for all of us. Um, My relationship with my son got better when he moved out. My son and daughter's relationship improved leaps and bounds. Oh my goodness, like they're friends again. And they were not friends for a couple of years before he moved out. Um, So we all agreed that we didn't want him to live inside our house. And he was on board with that too. He enjoyed having privacy in his own space. And so we started to think about, okay, well, if he doesn't live in the house and he wants to make this move, like within the next 30 to 40 days, like that doesn't give us time to like build any kind of structure. Um, part of our long-term plans for our home is to eventually build some sort of a little guest cabin that would not have running water, but would have like a composting toilet and a wood stove and like a Berkey 
for water. Um, but that's not something that we have planned for like in the immediate future. So that wasn't really an option. Um, not only financially, but also because we just didn't have time. It would have taken longer than a month to get something like that built. So then we were looking at tiny houses, but we weren't finding really what we wanted and what we were finding. We didn't want to spend that much, um, especially not knowing how long our son was going to be back home with us and not wanting to put in a lot of financial commitment without really knowing what his plans are. Um, and so we settled on a used RV. <laughs> so we bought an RV at the end of April, uh, beginning of May, and our son moved in in mid-May and he now lives in an RV in the driveway and it's going really well. Um, there have been some challenges, but so far I feel like we've handled it like adults. Um, there was some boundaries that we put in place before our son moved back, um, in terms of ways we did not want our life disrupted and also ways that he was going to be required to contribute around our homestead since he is living in the RV rent free. Um, so we, we came up with a contract and so far we're two months in and it's going really well. So that's the first life update. The second life update is that my daughter is a recently graduated uh, homeschooler, homeschool graduate, and she will also be 18 in four days on July 19th. So really, really big summer for her. She is currently with a friend and the friend's mom, and they went to a music festival where Green Day and the Foo Fighters were playing, and she'll be back home tomorrow. Um, so it's been really fun to just watch her get her independence. She got her driver's license a few months ago and just, she works very part-time and just seeing her have her independence and make wise choices and explore her world and like figure out relationships with friends and her taste in music and how she's decorating a room. Like it's just been so fun. Gosh, it's been so fun. I love having a daughter love having a daughter and we don't really butt heads that much. Like I feel like I used to butt heads with my mom a lot and my daughter and I don't butt heads that much. She's very easy to get along with. And in fact, we're like, she does all of our dishes and like cleans the kitchen. We have a work exchange (laughs) for that. Um, in lieu of her paying us cash for her cell phone bill and her car insurance, she does a work trade where she has to keep the kitchen clean and the dishes done and the dishwasher loaded and unloaded um, on a daily basis. And that's the, the work trade that we've worked out. So anyway, she's just growing up and she's blossoming into this beautiful, incredible, smart, funny, intuitive young woman. And she's very honest with us and she like, she doesn't lie. She doesn't hide things. If she tries something when she's out with friends, she, she comes home and tells us and it's like, okay, like you're being so honest about this. Thank you. Um, so we must've done something right. So that feels like a good update to share. And then what other update did I want to share? I think maybe personally, that's probably it. I mean, we're just enjoying the summer. Our garden looks, it's banging. Like our garden, I have been posting about it on Instagram so much because I never really have this much to brag about, but it's just like 
every every day it gets better. Um, oh, we got chickens. That's the other update. We finally got chickens. I have been dreaming of having chickens for almost two decades, and I now have 10 laying hens who live in the most amazing chicken castle that David built for them. Um, that was another reason why we weren't going to be able to build a guest home on our property for our son to live in because my husband had already committed to building me a chicken coop. And yes, it was very much for me and it was him making my dream come true. And he proved himself and he proved that he supports my dreams and that he wants me to have what I want. And Every time I turned around, he was looking for ways to make his original design better. And we collaborated on the design and our chicken coop is so badass. <laughs> it's so badass, but we are already getting so many eggs and we've only had the chickens for a week. Um, and I think we've gotten two dozen eggs so far in a week. So we're going to have to have many, many more dozen eggs before our investment <laughs> pays off. <laughs> because we built the Cadillac of chicken coops. <laughs> My husband was like, if we're going to do this, I'm going to do it once and I'm going to do it right. <laughs> and I was like, okay, honey. Um, so now we're trying to figure out how we can sell some of our goods from our farm, uh, whether that be garden produce or eggs or herbs or tinctures or something so that we can start to write off all these freaking expenses on our taxes because it's expensive. Um, so yeah, chickens, that was my third update. I can't believe I forgot that. Okay. So that's the rambly part. And the part that I also want to share just came to me as my husband and I were on a four-wheeler ride. We, uh, shortly after we got the RV, a neighbor of ours was moving. Um, she's an elderly lady and she had this sweet ATV four-wheeler um, that only had 500 miles on it. It was like almost brand new. And she sold it to us with a trailer that went with it for a steal of a price. <laughs> so we now have an ATV and we did not buy the ATV so like for pleasure. Like we knew we would probably putter around on it and have some fun. But that thing has been a workhorse around our property this year. David has gotten so much more done this summer just because he's been able to haul stuff around using the ATV and the trailer. He's been hauling branches, firewood, brush, trash, like so much stuff around here that he usually like, you know, resents doing because it takes a lot of footwork if you're doing it on foot. Um, and so, yeah, we have an ATV. Well, we of course are using the ATV to play and we have gotten to explore some really cool ATV trails locally where we live. It feels like we're getting to see our area from a completely new perspective and go to places that we can't go in a car or even dream about going in a car and seeing really awesome views. And I've even found um, along the sides of the ATV trails, just like some herbs and plants that I want to go back and, um, and either forage or like wait until they go to seed and then go collect the seeds and then try to scatter them around my property. So I've just found some new plants that I hadn't ever seen before. Um, it's just been really, really fun. Sometimes we pack up a cooler with like food and drinks and we just go out for the day. Other times we have a specific destination in mind, but we were on a ride this evening 
we had just gotten home from swimming at our favorite swimming hole. And all uh, this week, I've been talking about pleasure. I taught the Overcoming Health Anxiety workshop this past week. And a big portion of that workshop was about reorienting to pleasure to repattern your relationship with your body. And so um, I practice what I preach. And so I just keep finding more ways to experience pleasure. And um, one of my favorite ways to experience pleasure is to go skinny dipping in a magical swimming hole with a mossy waterfall. And it's very hidden and there's never tourists there. And I will never reveal its location upon my death. I will never reveal it. (laughs) Um, So David and I decided to hike through the river today to get there. And we went skinny dipping and played around on the rocks and the rapids and um, just had a magical time. And then, um, I smoked a little bit of weed and then we headed back. And so I had a a little bit of a buzz happening and I decided to go grab one of these like sparkly alcohol seltzer beverages that I just happened to have left over from a party we recently had. And, um, they're taking up space in my refrigerator. And so I grabbed one of those and we decided to go back on the four wheeler and we're like, it feels good. Cause our hair is wet and we're like just riding around. And, um, so here, here we are <laughs> on the four wheeler. My husband has his baseball cap turned around backwards, which ladies is fucking hot. I don't care who you are. Um, he's driving, I'm riding in the back and I have, I'm like, you know, a little bit high. And then I have this like open container of alcohol and we're riding on the highway. We're not wearing helmets. (laughs) We turned into a state park campground. We like cruised around the campground for a little bit. And this feeling of pure pleasure just washed over me. And I started laughing because I, it was like whoosh into my system, I realized like I'm healing my inner teenager right now. I'm healing my inner teenager right now. Like I felt like, so, so we cruised around the state park for a bit and I kind of, I made the joke to my husband. I was like, okay, neither one of us is wearing helmets. We're not riding on a state approved ATV trail. We're on the highway. I mean, we're going to a trail, but like we had to take the highway to get there. So I'm like, we're not on a state approved trail. Neither one of us is wearing helmets. I'm slightly high and I have an open container of alcohol. (laughs) And my husband goes, well, welcome to insert our hometown name. And I was just like, yeah, I guess, I guess maybe this is part of living where we live, but like more than anything, this is totally something we would have done as teenagers. Like, but we never had the opportunity to, right? Because we had like the Bible shoved so far up our ass that there, like, there was no opportunity for, you know, cruising around on your ATV with no helmets while you were stoned. Like, we didn't even know where to get weed if we had wanted any, but we didn't because we were told we'd go to hell if we smoked it. <laughs> So, uh, we were both over the age of 30 before we tried weed for the first time. Um, yeah. Anyway, I just had this magical, like inner teenager gleeful, like moment of being like, 
this is this is rebellion. This is pleasure. And something that has been coming up for me for the past two or three years is like, I feel really good and regulated in my nervous system. I feel like confident in my nervous system regulating skills. My awareness practice, I feel like is, is just constant and constantly improving. Um, like I feel like I'm teaching at a whole new level with my students. I'm currently running my feel without fear, uh, summer workshop series. And it's like every workshop keeps getting better and we're only halfway through. So like, I feel like I've up-leveled in my teaching, like I'm, I'm in a really like peaceful place in my life, but for like three years, I just have this yearning, this longing, this deep, deep desire to rebel and be irresponsible. And a coach that I worked with several years ago, um, was like, well, okay, what, what would it look like for you to be irresponsible? And she's like, what's holding you back? And I was like, well, the consequences, (laughs) like I have enough brain development now to know that like when you rebel, there are often unintended and not fun consequences. And so I started to explore the possibility of like, what would rebellion without consequences look like or without consequences that were like punitive. And within a week I was like, I'm going to go to Mexico. I'm going to cancel all my clients. I'm going to cancel the podcast recordings I have scheduled. I'm going to book this ticket to Mexico and I'm just going to go to Mexico. (laughs) I'm not going to work and I'm going to take my kid with me. And so that was in February of 2022. Yeah. Was the first time that I feel like I really let myself be irresponsible and like do something that felt really rebellious and it felt so luxurious and it and it felt so juicy and so spacious and like like oh i loved that i could just like because my kid was homeschooled it was like i didn't have to work anything out with her school there wasn't going to be makeup homework like she wasn't going to miss any important tests or classes or you know like it was like i fucking have the freedom to just take my high school aged kid on a spontaneous vacation to a foreign country in the middle of winter when it's horrible and dark and cold here. Like, and I am self-employed. And so it gives me that freedom to be able to do that. And I just saw like how much of my life I had set up so intently on freedom. Like me being a self-employed person is a choice for my own freedom. Me homeschooling my children was a choice for my freedom and their freedom. It was so that we had freedom over our time, freedom over our schedules, freedom over our passions, over what we wanted to study, over what was lighting us up, freedom to rest when we needed to, freedom to, to say, hey, if we need to take the day off, it's okay. Like we're not on anybody else's schedule. This can take as much time as it needs to take. Like, freedom. And a lot of the time, homeschooling, being an entrepreneur, like taking risks like that has gotten us judged as being rebellious because we aren't conforming to the system. We aren't conforming to the institutionalized workplace or the institutionalized education system. Like we've made these you know, sort of rebellious choices with our family. And 
those were like adult choices for sure. And like, I don't have any regrets and I don't feel like they had any negative consequences, but like being able to look back and say, oh, okay, I actually have made rebellious choices. And I did it from a place of authenticity and I did it from a place of sovereignty and critical thinking and like informed choice. And sure, I got some criticism along the way, but like, but it didn't feel that rebellious. It just felt like I was following my heart. Like the decision to homeschool had nothing to do with wanting to like fuck the public school system. I've always supported a parent's right to educate their child in whatever way they choose. And like, thank God for public school. Sure, it has its shortfalls and problems and issues for sure. But like, you know, it's great that there's a place for kids to receive a free education. Um, and there's still room for improvement and reform. Both and. But anyway, like, but that wasn't what my heart wanted. Like when I thought about sending my son, my firstborn child off to kindergarten with his little backpack and his little lunchbox and all his new school supplies and him being away from me for eight hours a day. And like after having been with me for the first five, six years of his life, like I got a knot in my stomach thinking about that. That's where my desire to homeschool came from. It wasn't about fucking the government or being rebellious. It was just about like, I couldn't see myself parting with my child at such a young age when I genuinely loved spending my days with my children. Like it wasn't a problem for me, you know? And I'm grateful that that my husband did whatever it took. I mean, at one point he worked four jobs because it was that much of a value for us to homeschool our kids. And it was more about a desire to be with my kids and a desire to expose them to the things that I know they wouldn't get exposed to in public school and a desire to live a more outdoors and nature-oriented life and a life where the kids would have exposure to a variety of experiences and people and that we could go on trips that were educational for them in the middle of the school year or during a a non-seasonal time, like an off-season time when it wouldn't be busy. You know, like we had that. It was amazing and it felt luxurious and it felt spacious. And sure, there were days when it was hard and days that I wanted to pull my hair out and I wanted to pull their hair out and days we didn't get along and days I yelled at them and days they lied to me that they said they did their schoolwork, but they didn't. Like, yes, that happened. Like, I'm not trying to romanticize my homeschooling experience and be like, it was always magic and rainbows. And no, it wasn't. It was hard. But it would have been harder for me to send my kids off eight or nine hours a day to be with someone else when I had a willingness and the ability to be with them myself. So sure, was that a rebellious choice to homeschool? I guess. But for me, it didn't come from a place of rebellion. It came from a place of desire um, and what felt aligned in my values. Um, Similarly, like living on land is a pretty rebellious thing to do nowadays. You know, Um, homesteading is certainly a rebellious thing to do. Unplugging from capitalism in that way, being sovereign in your your food, um, 
having skills, you know, like life-sustaining, life-saving skills, knowing how to grow your own food without chemicals, knowing how to barter and trade with neighbors and community, like having a local food system, like that's rebellious as fuck. But that's another choice that we haven't made from a place of rebellion. We've made it from a place of desire. Like I, I desire to know skills, um, in growing food and making plant medicine and identifying plants and identifying mushrooms. Like I desire to have those skills. Something about that calls to me in a way that doesn't feel rebellious at all. It feels like the most natural thing in the world. Um, so I guess the first thing that I'm wanting to share is like, in order for me to begin to experience and widen my window of tolerance to rebellion um, and finding pleasure in rebellion, instead of living and walking around in the narrative that, oh, I've never been able to rebel. I've always been such a good girl. I've never made a choice that went against the grain of anybody. Like actually saying, you know what? That's not true. What's actually true is that like the decision to live the lifestyle I live was an act of rebellion. It didn't feel like it, but it was. The decision to homeschool my kids was an act of rebellion. It didn't feel like it, but it was. So like I actually have experienced rebellion, but I experienced it as more of a following of my desire and following my longing. And it was like the consequences that may or may not have happened, the the negative feedback or the, you know, backlash or whatever I may have experienced as a result of those rebellious choices was not nearly as weighted for me as being in those choices because that was what I desired. And so with this awareness, I'm now seeing how this beautiful summer that we're having where we're going skinny dipping and we're Um, you know, staying up a little bit later and we're going on ATV rides and we just got the chickens and our garden is looking stellar. And, um, like it just feels like such an alive, bright, bubbly time. And then to have this experience today of riding around on the four wheeler with David. And it's like, we're doing all of these illegal things. Why don't I have anxiety about this? Like if I was doing these things as a 15 year old, I would have so much anxiety that I was going to get caught. Oh my God. What if, what if the DNR is at this campground? What if they see that I have a can of, you know, this seltzer in my hand? Like what if, what if we get a ticket for not having helmets? Like what if they can tell I'm high? Like what if we get stopped for riding on the highway? You know, like, like those thoughts were definitely going through my head, but like, it was just interesting to watch them going through my head and for me to not have any reactivity whatsoever. Whereas like if I was a 15 year old, like it was anxiety like that, that kept me from doing rebellious things. I was so afraid of punishment, of getting caught, of not being pleasing to Jesus, of not being pleasing to my parents, of being seen as a sinner or as a whore or a slut, or, you know, of being with the wrong crowd or like that I was going to lose my place in the church or like there was so much fear. I wouldn't even let myself have experiences like that because the fear far outweighed the fear of the consequences far outweighed my desire to experience those things. But now the pendulum has swung the other way. And I really, really like the way it's swinging where my desire for the thing 
outweighs my fear of potential consequences. And I think that a big reason why the fear of potential consequences isn't there anymore is because of self-trust. Like it, it, you build more self-trust the older you get. Like it's just natural. You don't trust yourself that much when you're 15. You don't even know who you are when you're 15. Um, it's a very tender time of life, but like when you're, hopefully when you're in your mid thirties, early forties, you're like in a place of, you're like, I have some experience in the world. Like I know how to navigate it and I trust myself in my experience. Um, obviously there's always ways that we don't have self-trust, but I think we like know what we can handle more when we're 30, 40 than we did when we were 18. Um, it, maybe that's not true for you, but I feel like it is for me. So anyway, it's just interesting to, to see how things that would have given me so much anxiety that I wouldn't have allowed myself to do them are now I'm like, okay, so like if we get stopped, like I'm not going to get arrested, you know, like we literally live like a hundred yards from here. And all we have to do is say that. And we know several of the law enforcement officers. We know some of the sheriff's deputies, like odds are it's someone we know. And like, you know, I wasn't driving, so maybe it won't matter or, or maybe I'll have a misdemeanor and I'll have to pay a fine, but like, okay, whatever. Like maybe using something illegal as my example is a bad idea. (laughs) Please, nobody report me to to whatever. Um, kidding, but not <laughs> not kidding. Um, anyway, talking about pleasure a lot this week on Instagram and having this experience on the four wheeler, it felt like an experience my teenage self would have loved to have had. It felt like freedom. It felt like luxury. Uh, we swung back by our house since it wasn't far from this campground. We swung back by our house and we grabbed the dogs and our big dog, Lachlan, he loves to run behind the four-wheeler and chase the four-wheeler. And our little dog, Willow, loves for me to hold her in the back. Um, and she like peeks over David's shoulder whenever he drives and I hold her and she just absolutely loves it. Nobody like contact me about that being dangerous. Okay. We're like never going fast. We're not doing anything dangerous. We are so chill on this four wheeler because lived experience. (laughs) We had a four wheeler when I was a kid. I had enough four wheeler wrecks to last me a lifetime. I don't have any desire to have any more and neither does David. So we are being extra chill and extra careful. Um, so anyway, like, so here we were, David driving, me on the back, holding a little dog, the other dog driving or, or running behind the four-wheeler barking. Um, I've got my, my little drink in my hand and David's got his hat turned around backwards. And here we are just like cruising the neighborhood okay? Like don't picture a neighborhood with a lot of houses, okay? Please picture like very few houses, very spread out in the woods on one road, (laughs) okay? That's what you should picture. So we're just like cruising the neighborhood, like, like, like the neighborhood bike gang, you know, like you would have done when you were a teenager, like back before we were worried about like seatbelts and helmets, you know, like when we used to ride on the, on the, the back ledge of the, the car in the back window, or we would spread out on the floorboard of the, of the floor or hell I rode 
Man, I rode over 100 miles when I was like 10 years old in the back of the truck with my brother. We were just like lying down in the back of the truck for like 100 miles on the highway on the way to visit my grandmother once. Like it was a different time, you know, and being able to have this afternoon with my husband and our dogs and like, yeah, we were doing some risky shit, you know, but we weren't being stupid about it and we were having fun and we were being safe and we were being chill, not dangerous and didn't get in any trouble. There were no consequences and the freedom and liberation and luxury and spaciousness that I felt was just off the charts. And I realized I'm healing my inner teenager. Like I'm giving her these fun, free, rebellious, irresponsible experiences, but I now have this self, this higher self energy, this consciousness that I didn't have when I was 15 or 16, right? I have the wisdom of lived experience. I understand cause and effect. I have the ability to like have more reason and analytical thinking. I have the ability to think critically. Um, I know like what questions to ask. I know how to handle myself in situations. Like it's, I'm just a totally different person, right? I mean, obviously I'm 25 years older. So, um, it's just really cool to have this higher self energy. That's like, yeah, we can like go off the rails a little bit. It's fine. And it gives that inner teenager that sense of being able to play and being able to experience the pleasure of rebellion without like making devastating mistakes or without getting punished or without being shamed um, or without like fear that she's going to hell. Like it's just wholesome. You know what I mean? Like it's just wholesome rebellion. Um, I feel like I need to explore that more wholesome rebellion. That, that feels like, ooh, say it again, Mufasa, in my body. You know what I mean? <laughs> Wholesome rebellion. Um, yeah, like I have no desire to like go off on a fucking meth bender. I just want to like cruise around my neighborhood with my street gang of dogs and my, my drink and my hot husband with his hat turned around backwards. You know, it's like so wholesome. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I'm really excited. I have a group coaching call um, with my health anxiety workshop people coming up this next week on Tuesday morning, and I'm going to be sharing in there um, more about pleasure because these experiences of pleasure that I'm talking about are utterly non-negotiable in the healing journey. Like if your healing journey is not involving ways for you to connect with your body and yourself through pleasure, then it's missing some shit. Okay. I'm just going to give it to you straight. It's missing some shit. If your healing journey does not include intentional, consistent ways to connect with your body through pleasure, because if you have trauma then or and or you have the physical and emotional symptoms that go with that whether that's you know diagnosed mental illness or autoimmune condition or gut issues or hormone imbalances or sleep issues or whatever it is like you have the diseases of trauma the imbalances of trauma and so your relationship with your body may be one that is very patterned to be pain focused focused on emotional pain, focused on victimhood, focused on physical pain, focused on physical ailments or conditions or diseases, like pain focused, right? It's not pleasure focused. 
And it can is really easy to get lost in this pain-focused relationship with your body where you're always focusing on the symptoms, the sensations that feel uncomfortable, the pain, the victimhood, the, the lack of ability. Um, it, you're in an immobilized state in your nervous system. And it's just like you're circling the drain all the time. Because your relationship with your body is pain-focused and all you can focus on is the pain and all you can try to focus on that's not the pain is ways to fix the pain and you're just continually circling, 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 circling the drain. Not to mention, focusing on pain is very dysregulating to your nervous system. When you focus on pain, your nervous system perceives that as a threat. That's why when you focus on pain, you feel anxious. Or you feel like you're in a fight, flight, or freeze state because your nervous system is dysregulated by focus on pain. Um, so when you focus on pain and it dysregulates your nervous system, it signals to your adrenal glands to pump out stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol. And when your body is pumping out more adrenaline and cortisol than is necessary, that leads to things like inflammation and weight gain and sleep issues and hormone imbalances and gut issues and, you know, all the symptoms that are associated with nervous system dysregulation. But pleasure, on the other hand, reduces cortisol. Pleasure sends signals of safety to your nervous system. It says, hey, everything's chill. Like, Feel the luxuriousness of this. Feel the juiciness of this experience, the spaciousness of it. <sighs> you know, like sigh of relief in the body. That's what pleasure is. So if you don't give your nervous system opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to experience pleasure so that it can have those moments of <sighs> of spaciousness, of juiciness, even if it's rebellious, even if it's not, like if you don't give yourself those opportunities, then your nervous system doesn't get to have the experience of calming down and beginning to reorient to that as, as the new normal. As like, this is what we're going for. Not that. That's what we used to be going for was this pain-focused relationship, but that kept us in a dysregulated tizzy all the time. We're going for, for this pleasure-focused relationship because that feels like, Ah, <laughs> I feel kind of awkward making that noise in this microphone. Anyway, I hope this all made sense. This was very much off the cuff, um, not planned. I had no notes whatsoever. Um, so just stream of consciousness. I hope it made sense. I'm sure it resonates for those of you that it's meant for, but what are some ways you can start inviting pleasure into your life? And I want to I want to emphasize non-sexual pleasure, right? Like of course everybody's like orgasms, you know, like sure, that's pleasurable for sure. But there's also a lot of like pain and shame and trauma associated with sex. And there's also like a lot of people with dysregulated nervous systems who use sex as a coping mechanism, who seek it out in ways that are like you know, codependent or uh, addictive or just not functional. So 
sure, everybody knows a good orgasm is pleasurable, but for some people that's not possible because of trauma or other physical conditions. Um, and for some people, like we all need to be open to non-sexual ways to experience pleasure and non-sexual ways to experience rebellion, I would add. So if sex equals pleasure for you, awesome. What are other ways that you are also inviting pleasure in? And if sex does not equal pleasure to you because it equals shame or trauma or guilt or something else, that's fine. That's totally fine. There is probably healing for you in that somewhere down the line. But if right now that's too much, what are other ways you can invite pleasure into your life? Um, after I taught the health anxiety workshop, I, at the end of it, I literally told my students, I was like, I am the worst teacher ever. I'm so mean because I am literally assigning you the homework of experimenting with a variety of things to figure out what feels pleasurable for you. <laughs> like, I'm so mean. <laughs> but yeah, I did a poll on Instagram asking people what pleasure felt like for them. And um, I distinguish pleasure from fun. So I guess I should probably clarify that for those of you who don't follow me on Instagram, I should distinguish pleasure from fun. So sometimes pleasure and fun are the same thing. Sometimes what's fun is pleasurable and what's pleasurable is fun. But sometimes what's fun is like, you know, you go and you have so much fun that you're exhausted and drained afterwards and you like need a day or a week to recover. Um, sometimes what's fun is like, it's so much adrenaline that it takes you a while to come down afterwards. And then you feel that drained, exhausted feeling. So pleasure to me doesn't drain, uh, pleasure to me nourishes. And so what I would use to distinguish between fun and pleasure is that pleasure has a sense of luxuriousness, juiciness, and spaciousness that, I don't think is present with fun. So what feels luxurious, juicy, and spacious to you? Um, To my inner teenager, apparently being a little buzzed on a four-wheeler with my hot husband with his hat turned around backwards with my biker gang of dogs is what feels luxurious, juicy, and spacious to me. And like, if I hadn't given myself that experience and been totally present in my body while I was having that experience and like tuned in to what I was feeling, then I might not have known that being in a biker gang with my dogs slightly buzzed on the back of a four-wheeler going through the neighborhood was pleasure to me. But it absolutely is. It brought so much. It brought a smile to my face. It made me laugh. It it is what inspired this podcast. I did not have plans today to record a podcast. <laughs> it was not on my radar. But I was like, I have to say something about this. And I didn't want to create Instagram content um, because my Instagram account has like, I don't know, bugs, glitches. I don't, I'm not sure what. But yesterday I couldn't post a reel for the whole day. And then it finally posted after my 13th try or something. And then today it keeps telling me that I can't do some certain action. And then it tells me, anyway, it's, I don't know what's happening, but that doesn't matter because I have other ways of communicating with you. And this podcast is one of those ways. Um, so 
what are some ways you can begin to invite pleasure into your life? What feels luxurious, juicy, and spacious to you? Um, and for me, with this awareness of like my inner teenager, um, I can now, in hindsight, look back and see how many experiences over the last two years um, I have had that were exactly what my inner teenager needed. And so I've shared this with friends that like my late 30s, were have kind of been like my teenage rebellion, but I have the gift of, of lived experience and wisdom and a fully developed prefrontal cortex <laughs> that I did not have when I was a teenager. So um, I've already been in this rebellion for a little bit. I just haven't really talked about it because I don't always talk about stuff as I'm going through it. Sometimes I go through it and then I share my reflections on it later after I've been living it for a while. And clearly I'm still living it because I had this whole new experience of rebellion and pleasure today. So um, it's also possible if you notice resistance to what I'm saying about pleasure being a non-negotiable part of the healing journey and that if your healing doesn't include ways to experience pleasure, then you're doing it wrong. Um, if you notice resistance in your body to that, like just, just notice it. Just like, isn't that interesting? See if you can come into a place of curiosity with it. Isn't it interesting that I have this resistance to pleasure? Isn't it interesting that I don't place as much value on pleasure as I do on focusing on all these modalities for pain? Just something to notice, right? I wonder what purpose that's serving for you if you are experiencing that. Um, maybe you're not experiencing resistance. And if so, that's wonderful. I invite you to just start looking for ways to find what feels really, really good. What feel like to me, pleasure feels like honey slowly dripping down the front of like a, I don't know, <laughs> like a very naughty <laughs> mental image. Um, you know, like, like a uh, sap dripping down a tree, like that slow, right? It's slow. It's juicy. It's just taking its time. It doesn't care what anything else is happening or what anybody else is doing. Like that's, that's the vibe. That's the vibe I'm challenging you to seek out in your life. Um, and if you did experience resistance to that, whether you were at the workshop or whether you're just listening to this episode, um, it may be because your window of tolerance to pleasure is small. Um, what do I mean by window of tolerance? I mean like what it is that you can tolerate without getting upset, without getting dysregulated, without getting offended, without feeling like a victim. Um, everyone has a window of tolerance. Everyone's window of tolerance is different. There are some things that you will be able to tolerate that is totally intolerable to other people and vice versa. Um, sometimes my window of tolerance changes depending on what time in my menstrual cycle I'm at. Sometimes my window of tolerance is smaller if I've had a few nights where I haven't slept very good or if I've been sick. Like, So our windows of tolerance are not meant to just grow, grow, grow and stay big all the time. But our windows of tolerance also, if we want to be functional, thriving people in this world, our windows of tolerance also can't stay small forever. So we have to learn how to tolerate things that we may have once found intolerable. Um, and when you widen your window of tolerance, like not only can you tolerate things that you once 
found intolerable, but like your threshold for, for things like overstimulation, for example, goes up. So like when your window of tolerance is wider, it is possible that like your, uh, reaction to certain noises or sounds or, um, smells might not be as extreme because your window of tolerance is wider. When your window of tolerance is wider, it means that your nervous system is in a more resilient and flexible state, um, that you are able to move in and out of different nervous system states appropriately to whatever is present, not out of proportion, not from a place of perceiving a threat. Um, when your window of tolerance is wider, your nervous system is more likely to return to like a safe and social state, a baseline on its own, um, without you having to use some sort of nervous system regulating tool. Um, when your window of tolerance is wider, you have more capacity in your nervous system. So you're able to experience and hold things like emotions, experiences, people, um, you know, temporary disruptions in your sleep or things like traveling, like things like that, that when your nervous system is really dysregulated, you don't have the capacity for when your window of tolerance is wider, you do have capacity for those things. Um, so I'm teaching a workshop, a brand new workshop that I've never taught before. It is called expand and it is all about widening your window of tolerance. Um, this is the fourth workshop in my feel without fear summer series but um, the ability to join the full series has passed because we started this back in May. So you would be missing out um, on three other workshops if you tried to join the whole thing right now. But I have made it possible for you to buy this single workshop on widening your window of tolerance um, because I think it will serve you even without the other three. So this workshop expand is happening on Wednesday, August 2nd at 6 p.m. Central time. So whatever your time zone is, my time zone is Central Daylight Time or Chicago time in the U.S. Um, so we are going to talk about in this workshop what the window of tolerance is and how you can learn to widen your window of tolerance through choice, exposure to stressors, titration, and returning to sovereign safety. We're also why, uh, going to discuss why we need to be within our windows of tolerance to turn off the stress response, but why staying within that window will make us stuck. So finding that balance is really important. Um, I'm going to hopefully teach you to identify your signs of distress before you throw yourself really far outside your window of tolerance. I'm going to explain what Newton's third law of physics has to do with your nervous system. You're going to learn the difference between nervous system regulation that is supportive of expansion versus using nervous system tools to regulate away uncomfortable feelings. We're also going to discuss why the goal of healing is not to always be regulated and share what a much more realistic goal is. You're going to learn how to increase the resiliency, capacity, and flexibility of your nervous system and build self-trust. I hope that this workshop is going to empower you to ride the edge of your window of tolerance while gently increasing what you're able to handle. And just in case you do get blown out of your window of tolerance, I'm going to give you some fast acting tools so that you can get back inside your window of tolerance whenever you need to. 
So again, Expand is happening on Wednesday, August 2nd at 6 p.m. on Zoom. Tickets are $77 and you can get those tickets at lindsaylockett.com forward slash expand, E-X-P-A-N-D. Um, and yeah, I hope to see you there and I hope to see you expanding to hold more pleasure and to not have a pain-focused relationship with your body. Okay, it was lovely talking to you and I hope to talk to you again soon. 